The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, I remember watching Star Trek on TV as a teenager and wondering what it would be like to be able to read the minds of other people because that's what I thought telepathy was all about. You could sneak into the thoughts of another person without their knowledge and then you could outwit or outcompete them. But our guest today, Colleen Morrow, is here to talk to us about the kind of intuition that she calls spiritual telepathy. Owner and editor of the magazine Intuition, a magazine for the higher potential of the mind, Morrow has spent years in the study of this, one of the finer capacities of the human mind. Her book entitled Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Techniques to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul is the topic of our discussion today. She's going to inform us as, as to the use of this very normal, human, but powerful and life-altering capacity. So you want to stay here for the whole thing. Welcome, Colleen, to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Well, let's just jump right in there. Tell me first how you got started with this whole business of intuition. Well, I had always been interested in the spiritual world and intuitive studies, and in the late 80s, I was living in San Francisco, and I had worked for several alternative magazines. I worked for New Age Journal and the original Whole Life Times, and I suddenly found myself without a job, and I was trying to figure out what to do. I had already worked for all the magazines I liked, so I was a little stumped about what my next step would be. And I spent my days worrying about being unemployed. I was talking to editors, researching new magazines, and really concerned about money, and driving myself crazy, basically. And one morning, I woke up, and I decided that I really needed a mental health day, that I would um, spend one day in my garden. It was October, my favorite month in San Francisco. I bought some bulbs and then spent the day just puttering around. And as I was puttering around, I had a type of intuitive experience that I'd never had before. A thought just flashed through my mind. And the thought was the Center for Applied Intuition. And I had always accessed intuition through feelings or some type of body-based sensation. But this was something new. It was a a purely mental experience. The words seemed to have been dropped right into my brain. And I immediately knew that it wasn't my thought. And I knew that it made no logical sense. I knew about the Center. And I had met Bill Kautz, the founder. But I couldn't imagine why I would go there to look for a magazine job. He had a tiny two-room office. I knew that he ran intuition trainings, but it really made no sense in the context of what I was looking for. And I thought about it for a couple of days, and I thought, well, what have I got to lose? And I called him up, and I asked him to send me information about the center's activities. And I got a big package a few days later. There were several brochures and a very simple typewritten journal called Applied Sci. And this was a quarterly publication that Bill sent to the center's 200 members, and the, the subject was intuition and creativity. And I sat down and I read the, the magazine cover to cover. 
And I thought, wow, this is really interesting. This could be a real magazine. We'd have to give it a new name. We'd have to really spiff it up. But I thought, these are topics that would appeal to a much wider audience. So I called him up, made an appointment to speak with him. And when I told him about my idea, he just lit up and told me that he had always dreamed of turning it into a real magazine, but the right person had never come along. So I went home and I created a proposal, came back the next day, and I was suddenly launching a new magazine. And we called it Intuition, a magazine for the higher potential of the mind. I got two issues out before Bill closed the center and he signed the rights over to me. I later got a grant and set up an office. And I ran the magazine until the year 2000. And at that point, I started to study the ageless wisdom, and I was immediately intrigued by the subject of spiritual telepathy. And I realized that this was a higher level of intuitive perception, and really the next step, a more advanced level of what we had been teaching people through the 90s. And I spent years researching this topic. Yeah, and so you've connected the dots then between intuition as we understand it when we're watching a detective show and somebody says they've got a gut feeling to -hmm. something higher. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so so can you explain the difference between those two? Sure. uh, Spiritual telepathy can be defined as communication from the subtle worlds, from our souls, or from even higher levels. And communication from these levels on all levels is always telepathic. We don't audibly hear the information. It's dropped into our brains where it's formulated into thought exactly as it was for me in the garden. And I do see this as a higher form of spiritual perception. Our personal intuition provides guidance about our relationships and our day-to-day lives, our work environment. But the soul knows our higher purpose and can help us understand the bigger picture. I see it as our divine partner, and I, I see it as the highest and most reliable source of direction and guidance. Absolutely, and it's and and one of those things that happens to us if we're in touch with that deeper part of ourselves. Uh, you would say that is true. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. It's difficult, more difficult to hear from that part of ourselves if we're not in touch with that part of ourselves. Right. There, it's it's a mind training. It's something that uh, we have to learn how to do. Right. And what's interesting is that. Over the evolutionary um, journey, all of us eventually will be in touch with that level of of guidance. But we can speed it up by doing particular practices. And I think many people feel really called to that right now because when you do this, you can bring in higher levels of wisdom and knowledge. That really is a tremendous service, both in our own lives and what we can do for the world. Right. So, okay, why is it that this potential for telepathy is hidden from us? Well, it's not really hidden. It's really just a step on the evolutionary journey. Um, The teaching says that there's three types of telepathy. The lowest is instinctual or feeling-based telepathy, and we share this type of telepathy with the animal kingdom. The second is mental or mind-to-mind telepathy, and the highest is spiritual or soul-to-soul telepathy. And what I like about this teaching is that it illustrates the progression of our perceptual abilities from the instinct of the caveman to the um, intellect of modern man, to the pure intuitive knowing of future man. And we're right at that doorway now where we can take that step. And when we do, we move beyond the human world into the superhuman realm. And again, this is just part of the evolutionary journey of the human being. And it will happen to all of us, but it's, pa- it's possible to speed things up. Right, right. So, I, I, interestingly enough, when, you, when I read that in the book about instinctual um, what was instinct? I hear a lot of people 
conflate the terms intuition and instinct as they're talking about it on TV or or even radio shows or things like that where where instinct is the same as intuition and I wonder if uh, I, you know I want to correct them <laughs> you know I want to say wait a minute no instinct is this and intuition is this but of course I can't and they can't hear me but uh, what you're saying there is there actually is a, a connection between instinct and intuition that's yeah. a kind of uh, 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 evolutionary stage that's right I, I would see it as our gut feelings as you said before and a lot of what we did in the 90s in teaching people to honor their intuition was teaching them to pay attention and to honor this type of knowing. And this is something that I found very interesting. It said that when we develop the next higher type of perception, the old level doesn't go away. It just goes below the threshold of our conscious awareness. And so with the rise of the scientific worldview and um, the sort of disdain for the older superstitions, we really got to rely on our rational knowledge, that that's the way that we learned about the world and we were going to make our decisions in that rational way. But we had another type of uh, knowing and information that was always being transmitted to us. And so part of what we did is teach people to honor that. And one thing I thought was, has been very interesting is how this has, has uh, emerged into the culture. In the past, no prominent person would have ever admitted to making a decision by anything other than rational means. And now everybody talks about intuition. Um, George Bush talked about being a gut player, you know, when he was interviewed about the Iraq war, and I guess his gut was uh, giving him the wrong information. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. His, um, his Homeland Security person, Michael Chertoff, called a press conference, I think it was in 2007, saying that he had a gut feeling that we were going to be attacked. And I remember thinking, wow, this is so interesting, that it really is part of our culture. It's accepted now that we have other ways of knowing. And so when it's out in the culture, it's really time for the next step, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and you know, the interesting thing about that to me, and, and you've addressed this as well, is that the instinct is a, uh, or the gut feeling, literally the use of that term is a, a body. Uh, it's, it's related to the body. And then we go to the feeling-based kind of telepathy, which is the emotions and then uh, and the mind. And, and, uh, and then you got, talk about mind-to-mind telepathy, which is that spiritual telepathy you're talking about. So I think that's interesting that we've got body, mind, soul in there. I think that's really interesting. Absolutely. And I also found it interesting is how it relates to the chakra system. That instinctual or feeling-based telepathy utilizes the third chakra, the center of instinct and emotion. Mental okay. telepathy utilizes the throat center, and spiritual telepathy utilizes the head center. And so the source material for this is esoteric. And I wanted to make sure that this was put in a context that would be credible to a wider audience than people just reading, that were already reading esoteric books. So I looked for the similarities and the parallels in other traditions and found that they're everywhere in every spiritual tradition, every culture. And it was really fun and interesting to research this. For example, the esoteric teachings again say that um, that instinctual telepathy utilizes the third chakra. So I looked to see where else I could find that, and I found it everywhere. There's indigenous cultures, the African Bushmen and the Aborigines, the Kahunas of Hawaii. They all believe that we're connected from belly button to belly button or solar plexus to solar plexus, that there's a light of energy that connects each of us and that telepathic messages are sent out from those lines. And so basically they're saying the same thing. 
And we, we term it as gut feeling, so we're talking about that area of the body too. The Japanese talk about haraji, which literally translates as the art of the belly. So they're talking about that kind of perception as well. So I found it everywhere, and it was really fun to, to do all this research. It's interesting. I found it in the Bible as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm some of the textual information about the seven candles and all those, those things. So it's interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Does that correlate then with the three minds that you're talking about? Three types of telepathy correlate with the three minds. It does. It does. We have our rational mind. The, uh, we have the soul, which is said to be our individual fragment of the universal mind. I had a hard time with this concept at first. And then we have the higher or abstract mind. And the soul is the link that links the higher and lower minds. And it said that the soul is the portal to the higher worlds, that when we access the soul, then we have access to the universal or divine mind, which is the source of all information, past, present, and future. And I found that this is this is part of the experience that we call genius. And I have a big uh, section on that in the book, as you probably remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And everybody today seems to want to tap into that genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all kinds of ways that they talk about doing it through math and science and then through arts and then through creativity. You talk about it through creativity. So I want to say a little bit about that. You talk about something you call creative meditation. Mm-hmm. Can you say something about that? Sure. This is how we actually make that contact with the soul. It's through the daily practice of creative meditation, which is also called Raja Yoga Meditation. And it's a kind of active meditation. And some people respond to this really well. I did. I don't like to just sit there. But this is something active. What we're doing is we're actually training the mind to transmit information from the soul to the brain. The information has to reach the brain to become part of our conscious awareness. And you can think of it in the same way as our, our, our homes are wired for telephone and internet connection. This kind of meditation allows us to create the threads and cables that link us to the higher worlds. And we do this by projecting our attention upward to the soul day after day. We visualize the soul as a star about six inches above our head. And as we do this day after day after day, we anchor small threads of energy that eventually form a symbolic bridge between the mind, the brain, and the soul. And this teaching is everywhere. It's called the Rainbow Bridge in the Wisdom Teachings. It's called the Antakarana in the Hindu text. And it's even in the Bible. Like you said, it's called the Straight or Narrow Gate in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So, this method of meditation is much more active than the quieting that you talked about. Can you say a little bit more about what one would do during this kind of meditation? Well, what we do is we often use a seed thought. And that can be a word, sentence, or symbol. And what it does is it focuses the mind and it allows us to start training the mind to hold a point of focus where we choose. The mind then becomes the tool that we use to explore the higher worlds. Usually, uh, the mind is our master, not our servant, and we do it the other way around. We, make, we focus the mind where we want it to go. And so, the seed thoughts, we, we, act, we access the soul by sending our energy up, and then we spend 10 minutes focused on the seed thought. And again, it allows us to train the mind to hold a focus, and we also look at the deeper meaning of each word or sentence or symbol, and that also allows us to start thinking more abstractly, and that kind of abstract energy more easily matches the information that we can find in the higher world. So, we start to upgrade the vibration of the mind. 
That's a little similar to, as I was reading that, I was became real familiar with, that's a little bit so, similar to what one might do with I Ching or runes, where mm-hmm. you focus on a question and then you toss the rune or you toss the I Ching you, uh, you, to, to get in touch with your own higher mind, mm-hmm. get in touch with the soul. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that focus point is really interesting. Now, I've had several people ask me this question, so I want to pass it on to you. Uh, when we focus on a given question or a given um, um, seed thought, as you, you just referred to, is it possible that the ego or, or our identity, which, is, which we consider to be separate from the divine, is, is ruling that seed thought and therefore we're not going to get accurate information? No, I don't think that. I think what it does is it just quiets the mind, the lower mind, and and, ha- and um, teaches it to hold a focus. So then we're quiet enough, and our mind is under our, our control enough that it's not going to dart around. And when it's under our control, that's when we can open to these higher levels of information. If we can't really get it under control, then it's like there's a curtain or a veil that we can't penetrate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so that we have to learn how to focus the mind. Disquieting mm-hmm. the mind in and of itself, would you recommend that people go through a period of time of where they quiet the mind some and then move to this focused energy? They could, yeah. In fact, I have some just basic focusing exercises in the book. Good. Especially if you're new to meditation, that's a good place to start. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so uh, you call the soul the kingdom of God, as do I, and we're going to take a break in just a few minutes, but I want to just sort of get started on that. How do you come to that conclusion? Okay. Oh, you want me to Yeah, go ahead. Now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, this is something I found very interesting. I grew up Catholic, and we're told that um, the kingdom of God is an after-death heaven where we go if we behaved ourselves to live with Jesus. And I started to study this information, and then I read the New Testament for the first time, and I was very struck by how this was really central to Jesus' message. And he wasn't talking about the kingdom of God as an after-death heaven. He said it's here now, that it's considered the kingdom of souls. It's the next higher kingdom from up from the human kingdom. So that's kind of our evolutionary step is by getting in touch with that next kingdom, that creating the bridge from the human world to the subtle world. And when we do that, that's when we access the soul and that's when we have access to higher worlds and higher and information from higher beings. Yeah. So that's what he was trying to teach us. And it really got distorted and I, or maybe it, people weren't just were not ready. Right. But he talks about the kingdom of God as being here right now. It's all around us. We just can't see it. Right, right. And it's within us. The, uh, mm-hmm. Luke, uh, there's a passage in Luke that talks about we, you think it's out there, but it's really within you. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a break right and, and come back right after this to talk more with Colleen Morrow about spiritual telepathy. So you want to be here for the rest of it right back after this. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Spoiler alert, a space of being may cause spontaneous laughter, extra money, ease, joy, 
magic showing up in your life, and outrageously orgasmic moments. Join Grace Hart live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel, where she combines her psychic abilities and the tools of access consciousness to assist you to create a totally different reality and transform your personal and professional life, including relationships and finance. I wonder what magical possibilities await you at a space of being. We are all searching for a deeper meaning in life. The possibility exists to create our life from the perspective of our true divine nature, where the experience of joy, love, abundance, freedom, and peace is our birthright. On the Inner Frontier, host Darlene Green presents a new topic every week with a high-frequency conversation to support a gentle revealing of the divine that is unique to you. Tune in every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel for The Inner Frontier. Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers but are looking for more? The Open Door, brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse, brings you each week practical spiritual teachings and tools that promote self-mastery, higher consciousness, and the opportunity to connect with the Ascended Masters. Join Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy as we explore the universe of spirituality. Live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Channel. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And you know, one of the sponsors for the Authentic Living Show is Super Soul Sunday. Uh, this coming up Sunday, Oprah's going to be speaking with religious scholar Reza Aslan, a Muslim who's married to a Christian and who's the best-selling author of Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth. He's, it's about the universal power of faith and the human desire to seek out spiritual connection. They also discuss Islam and what it means to be a Muslim in a post-9-11 world. So don't miss this new episode of Super Soul Sunday on Sunday, April 17th at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m., both Eastern and Pacific. So we're talking today to Colleen Morrow, and uh, she's here to talk to us about spiritual telepathy. And we've sort of given an overview of the, of the um, three different types of telepathy and what she means in particular about spiritual telepathy. And we've talked a little bit about creative meditation, whereby a person will um, be able to access the soul and therefore get information from the higher realms. And um, we also talked just before the break about um, the kingdom of God being being that same area of mind. The kingdom of the soul is the kingdom of God. And, uh, and so in terms of the kingdom of God, what do you imagine if you could, if you could sort of frame the kingdom of God in words or the soul in words, how would you imagine that looks like even just for yourself? 
Well, I think that's a great question, and this doesn't come up in my interviews a lot, so I'm really happy that you're asking this. And I'll back up a little bit and tell you that there are there's an esoteric teaching on the seven kingdoms. Everything is seven, seven chakras, seven sacraments, and so on, and there's seven kingdoms. There's the mineral, vegetable, animal, human, spiritual, and then two higher kingdoms, two higher spiritual kingdoms. So there's three spiritual kingdoms above and three subhuman kingdoms below. And the human kingdom is the middle kingdom, that we're standing where the two seas meet, so to speak, and that we occupy a very central place in the scheme of creation. And I found this in a lot of different traditions, and I found it really fascinating. And so what this esoteric teachings tell us is that we are channels for spiritual light from above to to flow through us to the subhuman kingdoms below. And when we open to these higher levels, then we, as human beings, as a species, we provide a very um, important service for the entire world, the entire scheme of creation. And it's in the Bible a lot. Um, St. Paul says that um, the whole of creation waits with eager longing for the children of God to be revealed. And apparently this this connection with the higher worlds is the event that's called the marriage made in the heavens, this connection between heaven and earth, that as um, a human being, that's our spiritual de- destiny, to create this, this link so that we can truly bring heaven to earth. So what we're doing is we're really stepping beyond the human being, the, the human realm, when we make contact with uh, the kingdom of God. And so it's that bridge, again, that allows us to make contact with the, the kingdom of the soul, and, and get information from the higher worlds and um, sort of take our, our, our step, our destiny, our evolutionary destiny. And that was very exciting to me to realize the context of this and how important it is to make this next step. It really is an evolutionary step. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned during the break the heart. Uh, you know, I've, I've, in the studies that I've done, including your book, um, I find the heart to be a part of that. You've talked about the upper, the head being the part of that uh, spiritual tele- telepathic unit. And the heart to me is also, it's like you hear again and again and again through the sacred text that the heart chakra is the one that has to open before the, the, the uh, you know, the throat chakra and the um, spiritual chakras above get to open. So can you say something about that? Sure, that's a really important point. It's said that um, as a species, we have only the first three chakras, one, two, and three, fully functional. And the next step is to open the heart. And again, it's, it's the borderline between the three um, lower chakras and the three higher spiritual chakras. And the, the teaching on the chakras really is a teaching about our spiritual evolution, that we're both animal and angel. And the step, the, the heart, the opening of the heart is really the step beyond the animal up into the spiritual kingdom. And I think that's why that there is such a focus on the heart right now, that as a species, that's the step that we're taking. And when we start to open our hearts, we draw closer to our souls. And it's at that point that we start to step into the subtle worlds, and we understand that everything is interconnected and interrelated. And we, we, get, we become more universal in our, our outlook. That's why I called the chapter The Universal Human. So it's a necessary step. We can't really work with spiritual telepathy until we open the heart because we do need access to those higher head chakras. So you're absolutely right. It's really the heart that's the entryway to these higher functions. And again, it happens as part of the evolutionary journey. And it will happen to all of us over time through the evolutionary process. All the chakras will be open and functional, but it is possible to speed it up. 
Yeah, and I find that there's a lot of people who think that the opening of the the heart chakra is going to be... um, is going to be all about telling them how they should love other people and be there for other people. And they forget that it's also going to be telling them about the love of life itself and the love of unity and the love of self. And, you know, I think that piece is so very important because it's really just about loving everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing because when you start to open the heart, that's when you step into this awareness that everything's interconnected. And the... Um, Opening the heart really is kind of the correspondence to the interconnection that you feel and understand when you've connected with the soul. Because you realize that we're all part of one great universal life, the soul of humanity. And that's a really important and necessary step, I think, for our world today. Because when you do this, it makes it hard to think about war. It makes it hard to think about the divisions that we have now. And in thinking about some of the horrible problems we have, especially in the mess in the Middle East, I don't really see that there's any other way to really solve that. We know that there's no military solution. And um, Eckhart Tolle talks about this, Barbara Marks Hubbard. Eckhart Tolle talks about it in very stark terms. And he said that as a species, we have to evolve or die. He uses the example of an amphibian who's forced to develop the ability to live on land after its habitat dries up. And we're really in the same position now. Our own habitat is in trouble, and we have this horrible mess going on and, and terrorists looking for nuclear weapons, that it's, it's going to take this leap, not onto land this time, but into the subtle worlds to really make the shift. So when there's a critical mass of people that have made the shift, the world changes. Right, right. And that's so hard to believe in this day when there's so much, I mean, there's not a day that goes by that you don't see something online or uh, hear something on TV about uh, the final end of planet Earth, you know, <laughs> some movie right. or something. And, and the, uh, you know, it's interesting. I had somebody uh, talk to me yesterday about, a, about uh, the ocean, you know, knowing its natural place, but people have forgotten. And, and uh, I was thinking, well, maybe the ocean reminds us that we are the ocean, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and, it, and it doesn't really... It has no more wisdom than to tell us that we are the same as it is, and it has its own life essence. Um, mm-hmm. That whole that whole refinement of of understanding that comes when we get to a place that where it's not just between two humans. You know, you talked about the second level of of intuition tele- telepathy, where um, it's between two humans. Can you talk about the distinction between? being between two humans and being between one human and the soul. Are you talking about the mental telepathy? Yeah, you talked about how you would transition through the evolutionary stages from, you know, uh, instinct through a feeling base, which is telepathy that's mental and mind to mind, and then you talked about the telepathy that's between the mind and the soul. Mm-hmm. Well, part of it is a, um, it's a practice. It's a discipline. It's something that uh, we do every day to make this connection. And again, it happens to everybody. It will happen to everybody over many, many millions of years. But we can actually sit down, take it on to do this practice and make this connection. And when we do, we're pioneers. We're, we're leading the way from one stage of our species evolution to the next. Barbara Marks Hubbard has said that we're the crossover generation, that it's really our uh, task to do this. Yeah. And that when we do this, we really become pioneers. Just like Christopher Columbus or Magellan, who explored the physical world, we become the pioneers who are exploring this new, more subtle world. And we can blaze a trail and make it easier for those who follow us. 
Yes, absolutely. And you talked about war. Mm-hmm. And um, that can be correlated to down to individual experience where people are having a big fight with each other. But in one way or another, talking about war, um, in relationship to this, in terms of how we, you talked about George Bush not knowing. His, he said it was his gut feeling. I would question if it was his gut feeling or something else that he called a gut feeling. But, um, but. The idea is that we must have war, and that's what you said. We must have war to solve this problem. Obviously, that's not the solution um, because it, it goes on and on and on. No matter what we do in terms of war, we just have another war to fight. But uh, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how a person in a war mentality can can be with that in a focused seed thought and make a transition. Well, it's something that happens slowly. And really, you have to be sort of drawn to it and, and ready for it to maintain the kind of discipline it takes. Mm-hmm. And some people are not ready. Yeah. But w- one interesting thing that, that comes from that, what you just said, and Eckhart Tolle talks about this too, and I think it's really important that what's happening to us as a species is the same thing that happens to us individually, that when our lives become really difficult, if we lose a job or lose a relationship or some other tragedy or a crisis happens, we tend to go inside. And that's when we often make the biggest leaps in our personal growth. And this is what's happening as a species now. We're being really pushed to the wall with all the environmental and, and um, social problems that we have. And so we, it's sort of a do or die time that we really have to take that step and we're being forced into doing it. Mm-hmm. When everything is wonderful, people just go about their lives. They don't really do hard work because they don't really need to. Mm-hmm. All they have to do is get up every day and greet the day. But um, when things are difficult, that's when we start to do the hard work. Right. Right. And that so our difficulties are actually blessings in disguise. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you talked about creating that direct line of communication between the soul and the brain. We have to purify our bodies. I think that's... That's really very important, a part of this whole thing. You know, we're talking about the seven lights, the seven chakras, that the first one being the the first chakra, which is relative to the body. Also, the second and third are also, but the first one is very much so relevant to the body and its survival. What I'm, I'm imagining that uh, an intelligence from the body has to be a part of this as well. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's really a first step. It's a first necessary step, and I devoted an entire chapter to it. It's called refining our physical, emotional, and mental bodies. And it's really necessary because we have to create a direct line of communication between the soul, the mind, and the brain. And to do this, we have to purify the body and quiet the mind and emotions. If we're ill, tired, if, and especially if we have mental or emotional static, it's hard for our brain to register the higher ideas and wisdom. It actually really repels the more subtle currents of thought. And what I discovered in, in researching this is that there are refinement practices in all of our spiritual traditions, and they vary from the noble eight-path fold, the noble eight-fold path of the Buddha to the development of Christian virtues to the teachings on character refinement in Judaism and Islam. So, there, there's teachings that are the same. The methods vary, but the goals and requirements are exactly the same, which is purity of body, control of the emotions, and stability of mind. And in the book, I included the refinement practices that have helped me the most, mm-hmm. harmlessness, the nightly review, 
and meditations on loving kindness, forgiveness, and compassion. And when I got really serious about this, really serious about meditating more deeply, what I discovered is that I had all kinds of emotional trash come bubbling up to really make it hard. And this is very common. Uh, Jack Kornfield talks about this, that when he started to teach meditation, he discovered that at least half of his students were unable to master even the basic concentration exercises because they had the same experience. So much emotional trash came bubbling up. And he's been a real pioneer in the idea of bringing in Western psychotherapy into Eastern spiritual practice because we really need that. We need that clearing out. And I had all kinds of anger and resentment. I was really surprised at how much I was walking around with. And I've done quite a bit of therapeutic work in my younger years. But I had people to forgive, some people way, way past uh, that I really hadn't completely forgiven. So I did a lot of work. I actually worked with a, a spiritual healer named Stephen Lumiere. And he gave me three meditations to do every day, one on forgiveness, one on loving kindness, and one on compassion. And as I did this day after day after day, I started to quiet down. I was able to forgive these people and and just obtain more peace of mind that it really takes to be able to quiet yourself down and meditate. So I put all of these meditations in the book. So I wanted it to be very step-by-step, and I wanted to um, have people understand how important this step is, because it really doesn't happen unless you're quieted down. And taking care of the body is absolutely essential. That when we give ourselves proper rest and nutrition, the vibration of the body starts to pick up yeah. and get higher. And when it does, it starts to more easily match the vibrations of the higher world. Yeah, I found also that, that when I have some kind of uh, dilemma with my body, that I can sit with that itself, like uh, like if I'm having knee pain, I might be able to just imagine myself sitting inside my knee and hearing what my knee has to tell me about what it's what the body is trying to say to me about what needs to happen so that I can move closer to wholeness mm-hmm. in body and mind. Mm-hmm. And, and what happens is I begin to get information from my body which connects me to my soul. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Go ahead. There's a great line in the Bhagavad Gita. They were talking about this way, way, way back. That uh, there's no meditation for the person who eats too much or eats too little or sleeps too much or sleeps too little. But those of us who are regulated, you know, in our sleep and our food and how we take care of themselves, that's when we're ready to meditate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say it's probably hard to get to those place without meditating. <laughs> it's kind of a vicious circle there. That's or, right. Or a peaceful circle, one or the other. Yeah, but yeah, so your book includes these uh, refinement practices where you talk about how, how to get that purity of mind and control of the emotions and stability of mind. It does, yeah. Okay. There's actually 12 meditations and two additional practices. Mm-hmm. Mostly this subject is written about in theory only. So I wanted this to be very how-to, very step-by-step. And I also included stories of people that have used these practices and how it's changed their lives. So I really wanted it to be easy for anybody to pick up right right okay so uh we're gonna talk we're gonna take a break in just a minute but i wanted to uh just say we're gonna be talking a little bit about genius when we come back because that topic is hot today and we all want to know what our genius is and uh uh colleen has got an interesting segment about the everyday genius so we'll be talking about that right after the break we'll be back in just a moment
is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. It's time to wake up and transform into your higher self. Tune into Lighten Radio with host Jay-Z Bound. This is a show that's meant for you if you're seeking your highest and fullest potential. It's already within you. All you need to do is discover it and nurture it to reality. Jay-Z is an intuitive and health and ascension facilitator. Get ready to connect to the divine and your authentic self. Be here for Lighten Radio every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring you your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you can get a PhD, a doctor of ministry, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of theology. The programs in which you may get these degrees are Holistic Theology, Holistic Health, Holistic Ministries, Metaphysics, and Parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and peace, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. What is most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all, in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu. Or, if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. 
You know, Oprah says, education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. And we're talking today to Colleen Morrow about spiritual telepathy and her book uh, called Spiritual Telepathy, Ancient Techniques to Access the Wisdom of Your Soul. And we've been talking about all the different um, ways, uh, three different types of telepathy, three different uh, minds that we have, and how we can access... uh, the, the soul, mind, the telepathy that is called spiritual telepathy, which is relative to the soul through creative meditation. And um, so now what we want to talk about is this concept of the everyday genius. Tell us what you mean by that. Well, this is really fun for me to explore. Again, the wisdom teachings tell us that the soul is the portal or gateway to the higher worlds, that when we make contact with the soul, we have access to the universal or divine mind which is the storehouse of all wisdom and knowledge. And I was really intrigued by this and, and wanted to know more. And I went back to a book that I had read many years before that I just loved. It was called Higher Creativity. And it was written by the late Willis Harmon, who was once the president of the Institute of Noetic Sciences. And in this book, he looked at the biographies of many artists, writers, composers, scientists, and inventors, and discovered that their greatest achievements came from, through an intuitive breakthrough. And this was a very popular book in the 80s, and a lot of the quotes that he has in the book have become very familiar. And I read that book again, and then I went back to uh, his bibliography and started to read some of his original sources. And that was really fascinating, because when I read the full text of these interviews and biographies, what I discovered is that many of the people we call geniuses were talking about their creative process in exactly the way it's explained explained in the wisdom teaching that it's through the soul that they had access to a universal flow of information and inspiration. And I I read this over and over and over, and I was absolutely fascinated. Uh, One book that was really helpful was called Talks with Great Composers. It was written in the late 1800s, and I think it wasn't published until the 50s. The author had an agreement with Bronze not to publish until after his death. And in this book, um, he interviewed Puccini, Brahms, Strauss, and Wagner, and other well-known composers about the source of their genius. And each of them spoke as spoke of the soul as the portal to this universal source of inspiration, that once they were connected to the source, ideas and images simply flowed into their brain. And many of them used the exact terminology. One word was appropriate, as though the information was out there for anybody to use, and you can appropriate it for your own use and bring it down. And it became very clear that genius is not a rare and random event, but an experience each of us can cultivate, that we can become everyday geniuses, that when we make this contact with the soul, then we have access to this wider world where everything is is possible, everything is available, sort of like um, Alibaba in Arabian Nights, that we open this, the door to this huge um, storehouse of, of wisdom and knowledge. And... Um, It became very clear in reading some of these other things, too, because I studied um, the scientists, Albert Einstein and other people, that they've had the same exact experience. Uh, Albert Einstein said, there comes a time when the mind takes a higher plane of knowledge and that all his great discoveries involve such a leap and that uh, the mystical was the true source of all art and science, that this is something that any of us can do. And when we do this, again, we provide an enormous service for the world, not only for ourselves, but the information that we can bring down and, and use in so many different ways. Absolutely. 
Beautifully said. And what is that, how does that correlate with all the information that's out there about madness and genius? Well, I don't know. I actually don't know. I think that maybe some people are just more easily open to it. You know, they're, so, they're more right brain than left brain. So I don't really know. I don't, I'm not sure what to say about that. But yeah. I mean, it's pretty obvious to me that this is something that can be applied in anyone's life, that you're not sort of touched with a magic wand. It's something that anybody can do. Absolutely. And in my life, I've always been very touched and envious when I've read about people that could communicate with the higher worlds in some way. I think I've seen every movie about Joan of Arc, even the horrible uh, t- made-for-TV ones. Yeah, She talked to saints and angels. And, and I remember being very touched by a story about Eileen Caddy and how Findhorn community was um, created. She got direct guidance that led step-by-step step to the founding of this community and those beautiful gardens. And I've always thought, why does this happen only to some people? You know, are they special? You know, is it somehow preordained? So it was really a nice moment for me when I realized that, no, this is something that each of us can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, my question about madness, uh, I didn't mean to take you off topic there, but my question had to do with the fact that so many times we call this connection to the divine madness, mm-hmm. um, that we think it's weird and strange and, and woo-woo and we don't want to know any more about it, so we say they're crazy. Yeah, uh, that makes sense. I mean, you, you, it has to be anchored and you have to be pretty healthy to, I think, use it in its best manifestation. Right. So, I mean, some people are just more open to it, and if they're not stable, then then there's a lot of problems, and I'm sure that's why they're called crazy or mad. Right, right. Yeah, so I was supposed to have done this right after the break and uh, went on to our, I was excited about our genius topic, so I I missed to do it. But I wanted to give you a chance to uh, tell the listening audience where... Um, how they can get in touch with you, your website, anything else you want to share, because I didn't want to get too close to the end before we did that. So would you be willing My to do My web that? address is uh, spiritualtelepathy.net. And when you go to my website, you can read the introduction to the book. And there's many links throughout the, the website to um, the direct Amazon page. Right. Okay. So, all right. In terms of uh, this connection to the higher mind and this age that we're in right now, which you say is an evolutionary age where we are being called upon to, to go deeper, to look further, to t- get in touch with this portal, um, in, in terms of our everyday experience, the highs and lows, the, the work, job, the taking care of the children, the, all of that, how can you put that in the mix? Well, it's really a practice. It's a disciplined practice, and that's not easy, but it's possible. The, the good news is that it doesn't take a huge amount of time, that it's actually recommended that we only meditate uh, between uh, 10 and 15 minutes, that when we have access to these higher worlds and we're bringing down energy from the soul, it actually invigorates the brain to the point that if you do it too much, you have trouble sleeping. And I, I've had a few experiences like that. When I was finishing the book, I was really determined to try to bring down information, and I you know, just kind of went overboard. And I couldn't sleep, and my brain was real buzzy. It's very unpleasant and not healthy. Mm-hmm. So you have to really be careful. You have to do it in a very um, systematic way. And so really, it only takes uh, 10 or 15 minutes. And I, I'm not a morning person, so I really didn't want to get up and meditate first thing. But what I discovered is if I gave myself time to just enjoy my morning, it was too late, actually, when I sat down to meditate because I was already thinking about the day ahead. So doing it fresh when you first get out of bed is, is highly recommended. Mm-hmm. 
whenever that is, whether it's early morning or, or you know, later in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, you know, I've heard people say to me that uh, in my clinical practice, I've heard people say to me that they are, you know, when they, ha- when they meditate, they have a good day. And when they don't, they don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it sometimes can be that black and white, but I think sometimes it isn't that black and white. And uh, we're going through whatever we go through when we start this process. And that becomes, you know, can become a, a, a seed of focus. But, but, but I think that how we lose touch with our uh, meditational practice in the morning is one of the things I was thinking about is that we, we have a meditational practice. We have a, uh, an experience with that. We take its leadership. We run with it. And then somewhere along the line, we lose touch with what we've, we've thought of earlier or what we had in our, in our essence earlier and, and we feel like we fall away. Can you say something about that? Yeah, that makes sense a lot. And some people start the day by reading some sort of inspirational spiritual works. Mm-hmm. And Peter Russell has talked about this, that it really sort of tunes him up for the day and it can wear off. Here's one thing that I've discovered is that even though this is a discipline and, and you know, I don't like discipline uh, any more than anyone else. But once you start doing this day after day, there's an there's a energetic shift that happens. At the end of the meditation, we ask that soul light pour down over our lower bodies to calm our minds and emotions and to invigorate our physical bodies and that our daily contact with the light of the soul really starts to make a shift it starts to raise our vibration and i think it speeds up our evolution because we start to look at life from a a higher perspective i notice that my heart is more open and that i'm more tolerant and less judgmental which has been wonderful for my relationships that i have more peace and joy in my life and i think it's a very subtle energetic process and I've never come across this in any book or heard anybody say this but I've experienced in my own life I think it's so subtle it's it's hard to talk about but we start to we start to shift in this way because we, we're bringing these higher energies into our our physical human system and it starts to just raise us little by little by little yeah and I found in my own practice that I come from a deeper place when I communicate with people I come and that doesn't mean we have to have deep conversations all the time but but rather that uh when i speak it comes from something very genuine inside of me yeah that makes sense yeah and, it's, and, it's really improved my life it really has it's yeah. made me a better person people have said gosh you're so nice now colleen <laughs> i have but, literally had people come into my practice and 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 uh meditate on issues like anger mm-hmm. um and um say that that has made a real difference like somebody who's had a a problem with anger management um, for example might come in and and they begin a meditational practice and they really begin to see that shift you're talking about where they just don't need to be that angry all the time they they Mm -hmm. might be able to use anger as a message but they don't use it as a tool or a weapon against Mm -hmm. other people so that makes sense yeah yeah so yeah definitely I, I, I think that's really true that we do have that shift, and, and I'd like to see uh, more about that, too. I'd like to see more people writing about that. As you just mentioned, it's not as much out there. But I, I believe that shift really does take place as we sort of download information from the soul. How could we not be shifting? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your book is a very powerful book. It's very interesting and powerful, and I highly recommend it to the listening audience. And I'm really glad that that you followed your intuition and got into that magazine and have written this book because it's really going to be helpful to all of us. Thank you very much. Um, 
I want to ask one more question just to sort of uh, just to sort of close us out for the day. Uh, in terms of today, this day, with this day's news, this day's events, uh, your life, my life, all the lives that you might be touching now, what would you what would what would be the first and most important message you'd like to give us? Just that this can change your life. And I didn't really realize that when I started. I was just grabbed by the topic, and I was just determined to keep reading and studying until I understood it and uh, was able to communicate it. But I didn't realize all the changes that would result in my own life, and I couldn't live without it now, that it's something that uh, I depend on and something that's made such a difference, and I'm definitely a happier person. Yeah. I like that you call this uh, a capacity in your in your work. There's a couple of places where I think you use the word capacity and and I really like that because it is a capacity we all have, but we have to open ourselves to it, train our minds to do that and uh and how, you know, what you've said in this book is very important direction for how we can go about doing that. So, mm-hmm. thank you very much for what you're doing for your work. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you. I enjoyed talking to you as well, and we're going to be back again next week for more, so be here for that, and um, remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.